Hi everybody, I'm Peter Jacobson, and welcome to Jake's Takes. It's still hard for me, and probably hard for a lot of people to believe that it's been 20 years since we lost Payne Stewart, October 25th, 1999, shortly after he had won the U.S. Open in that battle over Phil Mickelson at Pinehurst. Remember, he made that 25-footer up the hill to win the tournament, and then he went over and grabbed Phil's face and said, Phil, you're already a winner. Your wife is pregnant. You're going to be a father. And that was a that was a moment when I watched the replay on TV. It still makes me a little weepy because I think about I think about pain, but I think about Phil at the time. Obviously, a great player, didn't have any kids, and now I think about Phil as a dad. He's an in, he's an incredible father. The way that he takes care of his family and takes care of his kids, and always makes me think about my kids and now my grandkids. But when I think about pain. I don't really think much about the golf we played. We did play a lot of golf. We played a lot of practice rounds. We worked on the same basic fundamentals of the golf, of the golf swing. We worked on tempo and rhythm and balance and a good turn and a good finish position and good grip and all the, all the fundamentals we grew up with. His father, Bill, taught him the game and, and my father, Erling, taught me the game. So we had a lot in common. We had we had kids on tour. We we traveled to the pizza parlors all around the country, just uh, letting our kids have fun and play all the video games that we all remember back then. We had to actually put quarters in. Now you've got to go to a machine and get all these tokens. But when I think of the fun that we had doing music, I think of the times that Payne and I would play a tournament, and it could be in Greensboro, it could be in Hilton Head, really could be anywhere in the country and we knew a local band we knew of a local bar or a pub that would allow us to play so we would always make the arrangements with the pub owner and the band and we would finish our round we would meet up we'd go there a lot of times we had my caddy mike cowan or fluff as he's known and paints caddy mike hicks we would go into the bar the bar the pub we would have dinner have a couple of pops and then the band would start playing, and then they would let us get up on, on stage, and they let us sing, and Payne play the harmonica, and I would play the guitar. So I think back about those times that we did that together, and and uh, it makes me smile. The tough thing about losing a, a loved one, whether it's your mom or dad, your grandpa, your grandma, or even a, a great competitor friend like Payne Stewart is, you're so sad right away in the first year really when they pass away but as time goes by you start to you forget the pain the pain starts to fade and all the great memories start flooding back and that's all you think about I remember when my father died back in 1992 I was really frustrated when people would say to me gosh I loved your dad or your dad gave me a golf lesson on the range at the golf course or I just really enjoyed talking to your father I would get a little bit frustrated because it brought back such a painful memory. Now, all these years after my father has passed away, I love it when people come up to me and say, gosh, I remember your father and the love he had for the game and the love he had for, for being out on the golf course and, and helping those people that, that played the game. And, and I feel the same way about Payne Stewart. Payne loved to be out on the golf course. He loved pro-ams. Now, granted, Pat, uh, Payne didn't look like any of us he came back with the knickers and the argyle socks and the pink shirts and the yellow hats and you could tell pain from four fairways over not only did he have a, a beautiful flowing swing with great rhythm but he was so stylish the way that he looked you knew that was pain stewart so 
let's think about Payne Stewart this week. Let's think about what a great a great guy that he was. It's so hard to replace great players, great athletes, who are also great characters. He brought a lot of humor, a lot of fun, a lot of smiles to the world of golf. Keep your head down and don't get confused. Which way the wind blows, which club to use. And concentration slips away. You're not any good, but that's okay. I don't play as many PJ Tour events anymore, or, or PJ Tour champions tour events for that matter. But when I do, I'm always traveling with my golf clubs. When I'm traveling with my golf clubs, that means that they're in my club glove. It's one of the most dependable pieces of luggage I've had my entire career. And players like Brooks Kepka, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy, on and on and on, they trust club glove as well. You know you want to arrive safely, but you want your clubs to be there as well, and they usually do thanks to my club glove. After you swing, still on that tee, it sure is better than any three. And as you stand there, feeling like a stiff, you better love the one you whip. 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 A couple of weeks ago, I had the great pleasure of participating in the Pure Insurance Championship impacting the first tee at my favorite golf course in the world, Pebble Beach. We played three rounds of golf. The first one I played was at Pebble. The second one was at Poppy Hills. And then the championship was held back at Pebble Beach. And the cool thing about the event is you have a chance to interact and play as a partner to one of the first tee participants. And getting into the championship from the first tee isn't just about skill. It involves just about everything you can think of. These these boys and girls, they go through a rigorous screening program, which does involve their skill on the golf course, how well they play, but also their, how well they do in school. There's an interview process. And there's also an essay they have to write. So pretty cool for me to play in that tournament. I played with young Robert Walbert, an 18-year-old from Naples, Florida, and we had such a good time, and I think he's got some great, he's got some great potential that I'm looking forward to getting together with Robert this winter when I get back home and getting out on the golf course and working with him a bit. It's hard when you're playing in competition, when you're playing in a tournament, trying to score to to work on things. That's when you should work on the range. As I've said so many times, working on your golf game, your golf swing, your chipping, your putting. That's what you need to do on the range. That's called uh, golf swing. But when you play golf, that's called golf. You've got to go out and score the best you can and put the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. So the great thing about the first tee, and I'm sure a lot of people know about the first tee, but it teaches life skills. And it's basically a national program which uh, is focused around golf and about giving these boys and girls a sense of responsibility and a sense of belonging to a a great organization. And one of the great things is when you join the First Tee, you are basically immersed in nine core values of which they say the game of golf is predicated on. But when I read these nine core values, you're going to probably agree that these are the nine core values in how you should lead your life. And I'm going to read down them, and then I'm going to touch on one of them in particular. The nine core values of the First Tee, honesty, integrity, 
sportsmanship, respect, confidence, responsibility, perseverance, courtesy, and judgment. And judgment is what I want to touch on. I was asked to speak at a, an evening function they have during the tournament at Pebble Beach called Legends and Leaders. And I was asked to touch on the core value of judgment. And I had to actually look it up because we all know what judgment means and what judgment is, but I wanted to make sure I did the right job. So the definition of judgment is the process of forming an opinion or an evaluation based on the facts and circumstances presented. Now, we're all faced with different circumstances every day. What what time should I get out of bed? Uh, what should I have for breakfast? What should I do in the evening? How, how should I approach a decision at work and in my life, my decisions about my golf or should I go for a green? Should I lay up on a par five? Should I take the gamble and go to par five? Should I go out and practice my short game, my chipping, or should I go hit balls, work on my driver? Those are all the kind of decisions and the, the judgment decisions that we make on a daily basis. Now, being a golfer, I've always said that the easiest and most fun part of my day is when I'm on the golf course. And athletes in all sports know this. When they're on the field or they're on the court, whatever it may be, it's easy and it's it's basically instinctive. You know what to do. In football, baseball, or basketball, the ball's always moving. So you react to the moving ball. You react to the target. In golf, what's different is you all know the ball just sits there on the tee and it just begs you to make a move and put the ball in flight. And that's where the challenges come in. Now, when you get off the course or off the field, that's that's where the trouble can begin. We've all read articles every day of athletes who get in trouble off the field because of poor decisions or poor judgment. Now, we don't we don't hear enough about those athletes who do good, who give back to their community, who raise money for their charities, and positively impact someone's life. I can't think of anything more noble or more profound than having a positive and transformative impact on another person's life. And, and that's really the goal, isn't it? That's kind of why we're here, to help, to be a part of something good, to be a part of something that you're going to be proud of, to be a leader. And I think we all would love to lead by example, to be the person that you've always looked up to, your dad, your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, your teacher, your coach. We all need mentors, those people that we connect with, that we respect. We respect what they say, how they say it, what they do, and how they do it. Agreed, we all make mistakes, and no one expects you, especially a teenager, a young person trying to make their way in the world, especially when they're in high school, no one expects them to be perfect. No one expects a 20 or a 30 or even a 65-year-old like me to be perfect. But that's why our mentors, and even as a 65-year-old, I have mentors, and I can learn we can learn as young people from our grandparents, our teachers, our coaches. Those mentors are important to all of us to help us make those difficult decisions, to use good judgment when you are forced with those choices. Because there are consequences to every decision we make, bad ones and good ones. Golf is silly, but it's sad. If you ever make contact, you should be glad. There it sits, looking back at you. Take another cut, cause you're hitting dude. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a proud University of Oregon duck. And I love being from the Pacific Northwest. But 
When all three of my children went east for college, I knew I needed to change things up. I wanted to get back into their same time zone. So after an extensive search, my wife and I ended up in the Naples, Florida area. But I wished I'd had Golf Life Navigators to help me make that decision. Golf Life Navigators is like Match.com meets Zillow. It's the only place you can go to uncover your ideal golf lifestyle. So go to GolfLifeNavigators.com and fill out the Pro Guide 3 questionnaire. It will ask you all the pertinent questions like, where do you want to live? Or how do you want to experience your golf? Then it matches you to golf clubs, and you get to choose which one has the best environment for you. Look, I, I really don't understand the internet or how it works, but it's so easy even I can figure this out. After you swing, still on that tee, sure is better. So when I think about pain, I, I think about the fun time we had with our rock and roll band, Jake Trout and the Flounders. Mark Lyon, and Payne Stewart and I, we, we love music. We'd always kind of talk about music, play music. Payne played the harmonica. Mark played the guitar. I played the guitar. I had no thoughts of ever singing, but when then commissioner Dean Beeman, PGA Tour commissioner Dean Beeman, asked us to put together a little group to play at a player's dinner down in Ponte Vedra Beach, uh, Payne and Mark looked at me and said, hey, pal, you're going to be the singer. We don't sing. And I said, either do I, but that didn't matter to them. I was I was stuck with the singing duties. So we put together our band, and we had a little bit of fun, and we recorded an album. And then years later, as we started playing more tournaments and meeting more celebrities and musicians, we decided to do a second record. We had met and played golf with people like Alice Cooper, Stephen Stills, Glenn Fry, Huey Lewis, Darius Rucker when, when he was with Hootie and the Blowfish, Kevin Cronin with REO Speedwagon, Graham Nash, so many Hall of Fame rock and rollers that we always talked, we always joked about during the day when we play golf, it was Peter the Pro and Huey Lewis the Amateur. But when we went into the recording studio or we did a gig and they played with us, Huey was the pro and I was the amateur, which I absolutely agreed with. I think we could probably be termed as uh, middle handicappers as musicians and certainly as a singer. But one one incident that I remember so well, we were going to go to L.A. to record our second record, which, by the way, as a shameful plug, you can find on iTunes both records, in fact, of Jake Trout and the Flounders. But we we secured a recording studio in L.A. to be able to record these famous Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. We had arranged for Darius and Graham Nash and Stephen Stills and Glenn Fry and all these guys to come to the studio and record a couple of days with Payne and I. Mark couldn't make it. I can't remember all the details why he wasn't there, but so Payne and I flew out to L.A. and uh, say it was a Monday, and we were we had secured it from 10 to 4. So we were going to do six hours of recording for two days, which we were excited about. Total departure from what we do on a daily basis. Warming up, hitting balls, playing a pro-am, competing in a tournament, whatever that may be. 
So we really didn't know what to expect. But here we are, we're in LA, we drive to the recording studio at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we get there and the door's locked. And I pound on the door, nobody there. 10, 30, 11, 11, 30, Payne and I are pissed. We feel like we just got screwed. So I'm calling the producer, I'm calling my contact. We go back to the hotel, we have lunch, it's 2, 2.30, and I'm thinking we're a couple adults, lost our deposit for the recording studio. So finally around 3 o'clock, I get a call back from the producer, and he says, yeah, what's going on? And I said to him, I was really upset, I said, 10 o'clock to 4. You told me we were on for 10 o'clock to 4. And he went, we're still on, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I felt so stupid. And I asked the guys when we finally got there that night at 10 o'clock, I said, why do you guys do this at night? And they said, well, it's to allow our voices to warm up during the day. We never record in the morning. And so now whenever I watch television, and if you happen to watch the Today Show or a Good Morning America and you see a, a band play the summer concert series at 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes their voice doesn't really sound like it does on the record, there's a reason. Uh, it's early in the morning. They probably just had a cup of coffee and their, their voice isn't warmed up. Not that my voice would need any... <laughs> wouldn't It would not help my voice for me to sing at 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night. It didn't matter. But Payne and I went back to the hotel, we, we rested up, we got some dinner, and we showed up at 10 p.m., and sure enough, the doors were open, we walked into the recording studio, and all the guys started coming in, and we went song by song, and we knocked them off. Love the One You're With by Stills became Love the One You With, and if you listen to that, you'll hear the backing vocals of... Stephen Stills and Graham Nash, and it is, it sounds as good as the record, uh, if I do say so myself. Not because of me, but because of Stills and Graham Nash. And Payne and I looked at each other, and we thought, wow, here we are in a recording studio, and Graham Nash is sitting at the soundboard, and there's Stephen Stills, there's Glenn Fry, there's Darius Rucker. We're recording these songs for this record. And we, we looked, we started giggling like little kids because, as I said earlier, it's such a huge departure from what we normally do. And that was actually our pro-am. They were the pros, we were the amateurs. Stiff. You better love the one you with 
Well, that's all the time we have for this week's Jake's Takes podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Peter Jacobson. These have been my takes. What are yours?